0: As Ben said, we are thankful for our freedoms. You know, there are forces at work in our culture today that want to undermine those freedoms. And Christianity is increasingly on the attack. I don't know how many of you saw on the news just this past week where the vice president's wife started teaching at a traditional Christian school in Virginia where they believed traditional Christian beliefs about how God created humanity, male and female. They hold to a traditional Christian sethi- uh, sexual ethic. Uh, and yet, she and, and those who, like many of us in this room, believe that are being um, called bigots and hateful. Uh, there's even a trending hashtag that's hashtag exposed Christian schools. Um, and they're claiming that Christian schools are places of bigotry and hate because they hold to and believe what Christians have held to and believed for 2,000 years. We've not changed. God's Word has not changed. But our culture is changing. Lawsuits, firings, demotions, all kinds of drama seem to be on the increase in our country. And when the courts don't go our ways and when our favorite corporations begin to promote unbiblical ideologies and Hollywood demonizes us, it's easy to feel persecuted in today's culture, isn't it? And even though in America... As in some of these places, we don't really have to fear jail time or physical harm or death for our faith. It's still tempting to just let the culture have its way. We might have it easier if we did. We might get that job promotion. We might be more popular. We might land that job that we're hoping. We might get into that school or get that scholarship if we just bow down to the culture's demands. But we will never find relief by bowing down to earthly kings and kingdoms. Only the King of kings can give us true peace, joy, freedom, and life. See, these issues aren't unique, though, to 21st century believers. The Christians in Smyrna faced far worse than we do. Now, the city of Smyrna was was a, was a Roman city, and so the vast majority of its citizens worshipped Roman gods and goddesses. And and they would offer sacrifices to them. They would try to appease these gods and goddesses in hopes that the gods and goddesses would give them safety and security and success. Now imagine trying to faithfully worship God and follow in the ways of Jesus in that kind of an environment. Christians were ridiculed. They were mocked. They were excluded because of their faith. And these believers in Smyrna, they needed hope to carry on. They needed courage to endure and remain faithful to Christ. So as we look in Revelation chapter 2 at Jesus' second letter to these seven churches in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, I pray that we can discover how God can give us the faith and the courage that we need to reject the easy comfort of this world. And instead, place our hope in God's enduring promises. His promise that that all the afflictions in this life are momentary. May this morning we allow the power of Jesus' resurrection to transform us and to strengthen us against the temptations to just give in to the cultural pressure to conform to the world's way of thinking and living. So if you will look with me at Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 to the angel of the church in smyrna write these are the words of him who was the first and the last who died and came to life again i know your affliction and your poverty yet you are rich i know the slander of those who say they are jews and are not but are a synagogue of satan do not be afraid Of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put you, will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word and pray that You would speak to us by Your Spirit to encourage us and to challenge us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Jesus' letter to the church in Smyrna, if you notice, follows a very similar pattern to the, church, to the letter He wrote to the church of Ephesus. And I told you last week that all these letters follow a pretty standard pattern. There's one exception in His letter to the Smyrna church, and that's that there's no criticism. Jesus offers no rebuke whatsoever to this church but let's look at the first thing he does the first uh, part of the letter just like last week Jesus mentions a characteristic about himself and that characteristic is that Christ is the risen Lord look back at verse 8 these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and who came to life again Jesus really identifies himself here by two important characteristics the first is that he is in control The risen Christ is in control. Now, maybe like me, at times in your life, you feel like things are out of control. You ever felt that way before? That things are just out of control. Your life sometimes might feel chaotic. We may even wonder at times, where is God in all of this? And, And I can imagine that the church in Smyrna must have felt that way. Where is God? In the midst of all this persecution and suffering and ridicule. And that's why Jesus at the very beginning of this letter reminds them that He is the first and the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. What Jesus is telling them is that before Caesar was born, Jesus was. Before Rome was ever founded, Jesus was. And long after Caesar and Rome are just entries in the history books, Jesus will still be. Amen? Think about it today. Where are the Caesars? Is anybody being pressured to pledge allegiance to them today? What about the Roman Empire? How many of us live in fear of being conquered by the Romans? Anybody? What about their pantheons of gods and goddesses? You know anybody that worships Zeus today? Or Jupiter? Jupiter was the Roman version of Zeus. Anybody you know worships Jupiter? No. Yet how many billions of people have followed and followed today in worship and love and service of Jesus Christ? Two thousand years later, Jesus is on His throne and the Romans are a footnote In history, Jesus is still the first and the last. Jesus is still above all rulers and governments. As the song says, kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name, the name of Jesus. No matter what difficulties we face today, know that they are passing. But Jesus and His kingdom are forever. He is in control. Secondly, Jesus says, He has defeated death. He has defeated death. The citizens of Smyrna, you see, they were turning to Rome and to their false gods to give them a resurrection story. Because everybody wants a good resurrection story. You know, rags to riches. You know, uh, good things coming from tragedy. Everybody loves that kind of story. But Jesus said in John chapter 11, He said, I am the resurrection And the life. The one who believes in Me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in Me will never die. Jesus wants these believers to look to Him and His resurrection as the only real story of restoration and renewal. Jesus always offers us a better story than the world offers. The world is constantly trying to offer us resurrection stories. Just think of all the promises from politicians That if we just vote for them, we'll have more money, better health care, safer neighborhoods, and on and on. They tell us that they are the solution to our problems. They are our hope for a brighter tomorrow. Think of all the advertisements that we see and hear every day making the same promises. Better health, better looks, flatter bellies, more money, greater home or financial security. We'll be more popular and we'll feel younger and be happier if we just give them our money. But these are cheap imitation Knockoffs of the real hope we have for a better tomorrow. The only resurrection story is found in Christ. His resurrection releases us from death and, and, and assures us that someday Jesus will restore all things. He is going to make all things new. He's going to make everything that's wrong right again. Jesus is the only resurrection story we need. The same is true for churches. We've been talking about churches in need of revitalization and there are churches, thousands upon thousands of churches in this country that are in desperate need of a resurrection story, of renewal and restoration. And it doesn't come by by adapting our beliefs or our methods to the world. It comes when we put our hope and trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what we as a church must do. This is what sustained the Smyrna church so far. And they needed to hear this word of affirmation from their risen Lord. And so after Jesus gives this characteristic of Himself, He turns and He gives a compliment to them. He tells them that they are rich in faith. In verse 9, He says, I know your affliction and your poverty, yet you are rich. Just as Jesus knew the good deeds and perseverance and the doctrinal integrity of the Ephesian church. We talked about that last week. He said, I know your good deeds. Here, he says, I know what you've endured. I know the slander. I know the afflictions. I know the poverty that you have suffered. Now, what are these afflictions? Why are they impoverished? Well, remember, as has been said, that they're living in a pagan society. And they're also living in a country that's a home to a large Jewish population. Historians tell us that first century Smyrna was a people of 60 million. But we think we have some big cities today. It was a huge population center. And scholars estimate that 5 million people there were Jews. But only 50,000 were Christians. So the Christians were facing opposition on two fronts. On the one hand, there were the Romans who proclaimed Caesar as Lord. You see, for the Romans, they not only worshipped these gods and goddesses, they actually worshipped Caesar. They were expected to bow the knee and to pledge their love, their allegiance, and their worship to Caesar as the one and only Lord. Now, Smyrna was a port city. It had a strong economy based on trade. And if you wanted to be a part of the trade guild and you wanted to prosper economically in Smyrna, you had to bend the knee and you had to proclaim Caesar is Lord. If you didn't, you were excluded. And that meant you had no work. And that meant you had no money. And that meant you were in poverty. But they also faced opposition from the Jews because the Jews proclaimed Christians are the enemy. You see, the Jewish people uh, were, were, had a great hostility towards the, the Christians in Smyrna. Now, Rome had grown tolerant of the Jewish faith. So throughout the Roman Empire, the Jews got a hard pass. They, they, were, they had an exception. They were They were a protected class of people. They could continue to worship the one God. Now, from the Roman perspective, they thought the Jews were atheists. They thought the Christians were atheists too because they refused to worship the pantheon, the thousands of gods and goddesses of the Romans, so they just considered them atheists. But they, they, they tolerated the Jews. And the Jewish people didn't want Christians to get that same exception. And so they worked hard to make sure that the Romans knew that the, Jews were the, that the Christians were the problem. And they, they, they made life for Christians in Smyrna miserable. But Jesus said that though they suffered in poverty for Him They were actually rich. If I were them, I'd say, now run that by me again, Lord. (laughs) How exactly can you say that that we're rich, we're struggling, we're suffering for the gospel, we've we've lost our jobs? I mean, put yourself in their shoes. Can you imagine kneeling before a Roman guard with a sword in his hand who's going to separate your head from your shoulders unless you recant Jesus and say, Caesar is Lord? Or maybe it's not that bad. Can you imagine that somebody's going to give you a job so that you can afford to feed your children and and buy medicine for your sick spouse, but only if you say, Caesar is Lord? Can you imagine having to be faced with that kind of a choice? Well, we have to imagine that kind of scenario. As Ben said, hundreds of thousands of our brothers and sisters don't have to imagine. They're living that reality right now, this morning, around the world. China in particular is cracking down hard on churches. They're literally bulldozing church buildings. They're going in and they're arresting pastors and their wives and hauling them off to jail, never to be seen or heard from again. Christians in Islamic countries and across the continent of Africa are faced with mass slaughter for their faith in Jesus. How can Jesus say they're rich? What are they rich in? Well, first of all, they're rich in faith. They're rich in faith. They trust in the Lord Jesus to make everything right in the end. While the citizens of Smyrna are turning to Lord Caesar to keep them safe and prosperous, the church in Smyrna is turning to Lord Jesus for spiritual blessings to keep them safe from the evil one. Now, when you read this verse, it kind of seems a little harsh for Jesus to call the Jewish synagogue in Smyrna a synagogue of Satan. But what Jesus is saying here is that any religious group, whether you're Jew or Gentile, any religious group that does not trust in Him as the Son of God is against God. That's what He's saying. The Jewish people in Smyrna may have been Jewish by race and religion, but He's saying they're not Jewish by faith. Whereas the believers in Smyrna that they resolved to turn away from the temptations of anti-gospel stories from their culture. Rather, they fixed their eyes on the risen Christ, on the true gospel story of resurrection. They were rich in faith. Secondly, because they were rich in faith, they were rich in Christ. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake, He became poor so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. See, through Jesus Christ, all the riches of heaven are ours. The mysteries of the grace of God. His mercies that are new every morning. The power, wisdom, and knowledge of His Holy Spirit within us. Forgiveness of our sins. Abundant life now. Eternal life later. The peace that passes all understanding. A spiritual family and a church that we can lean on. And a heavenly home and a crown of life that awaits us. We are rich in Christ Jesus. Jesus. These are riches that are far beyond anything the world has to offer. What Caesar offers will pass away. Rust will destroy or thieves will steal. But what King Jesus offers us will last forever. We need to keep this in mind when we face our own sufferings in this life. Like I said, we may not be threatened with imprisonment or death for our faith, but aren't we tempted to cut corners at work to get ahead? aren't we tempted to pour our hope in a candidate's promise for peace and prosperity every four years? As a church, aren't we tempted to rely on our past successes, on our buildings and our budgets and the latest fad programs for growth? The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to deny Christ and His sovereignty his empowering Spirit, the wisdom of His Word to put our hope in quick fixes for immediate results? Or will we learn to measure life and ministry success by heaven's metrics and not those of our secular world? That's the question for us as, as men and women, as young people, as a church. The church in Smyrna chose to trust Christ, to faithfully endure persecution. They put their hope and trust, not in chariots and in horses, but in the Lord God Almighty. And that's how they faithfully endured persecution. It was out of their love for Him. And because of that, Jesus, like I said, He offers no rebuke, no criticism for this church. Instead, He encourages them with two simple commands. And here are the commands. The first one He tells them is reject fear. Reject fear. See, these believers may not have enjoyed the approval of men, but they enjoyed the applause of heaven. And so Jesus challenged them, don't be fearful. He said, I know the devil's plan. He said, I know what you're going to endure, and it's going to be just... For a little while, when he says ten days, that could either be literal, but ten days in the Bible often is used to just mean a, a brief period of time. Their affliction, their imprisonment, their trials and sufferings would be momentary. And Jesus remains in control. We may not face the same struggles the Smyrna believers faced, but we also live in a fallen world and we deal with our own temptations, our own fears, our own failings. Work can seem meaningless and mundane. Marriages aren't all candy and roses. Our bodies begin to break down. Family and friends can face terrible illnesses. People can be laid off from their jobs. Relationships can go sour. And yes, in very real ways, increasingly so, we also can be targeted for our faith. So no matter what it is, all of us, every one of us in this room, anyone who's listening to this message right now, we all suffer the effects of living in a broken world. And Jesus never once promises us freedom from that suffering. He never promises freedom from persecution. Instead, He guarantees them and us something much greater, the grace to withstand whatever may come. And we can face it without fear. He gives us a pledge from God Himself that those who die will be raised to receive the crown of life. We have to reject fear. But secondly, remain faithful. You see, if we reject fear, that will only help us to remain faithful. No matter what the Jews, no matter what the government may do, no matter what the culture and society, no matter what the media says, no matter what the government may do, no matter what happens in your life, If we reject fear, it will help us to remain faithful. Now, thinking about church revitalization, the church in Smyrna teaches us a great truth. As we endure persecution, we are encouraged to continue being faithful, understanding that while more oppression may come upon us as believers, our eternal inheritance is secure. Or, to put it this way, As we endure an unknown future, as we endure changing neighborhoods and cultures, as we endure time that 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 passes and makes us have to adjust maybe how we do this or that, as we face changes in our methods, never the message, but in those methods, we are encouraged to continue being faithful understanding that while change may come, our eternal inheritance is secure. Now, I believe that we will soon face a day when we're going to have increasing cultural and economic and, and legal pressures like what Smyrna faced. And we already see it. We see it in the media. We see it from politicians. A growing intolerance for traditional Christian beliefs and morality. And we as a church need to be ready. Because I believe it's coming fast. And we're going to have to trust in Christ's commitment to us that if we endure hardship, if we remain fearlessly faithful, He will give us the victor's crown. But even in addition to that, just as I said, as we face the needs to change a program or to do something a little bit different in a worship service, as we face changing demographics in our Sunday school classes, we have to put our faith and trust In Jesus, like the Smyrna church, we have to envision God's preferred future for us, not our own. Jesus is challenging the church in Smyrna to imagine a better future, a different future, in the face of of, of odds and circumstances that they just can't seem to see past. And that's why Jesus concludes by giving them this commitment, that they will receive the victor's crown. Look with me again at verses 10 and 11. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now, the city of Smyrna was a key player in the Roman athletic games. Think like the Olympics, okay? And so at those games, if you won a race or a competition of some kind, you would receive a crown. They didn't give medals like we do. They gave crowns. And so this analogy Jesus gives them would be especially meaningful to the Smyrna church. Just as the winner of a race receives the victor's crown, Christ receives promises a similar crown to them. Only it's not a crown of laurel leaves that are going to wilt and fade away. It's the crown of life that will last forever. We see James express express the same hope in James 1.12 where he said, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. The Smyrna church needed to look to Him whose resurrection would give them resurrection. Yes, they were facing difficult times, but these difficulties were not impossible to endure through Christ. Even though they were poor, they would be made rich. And even though they would die in Christ, they would be made alive once again. And when we trust in Jesus, He who Himself overcame injustice and persecution and imprisonment and poverty and death itself, we will be able to overcome them as well through Him. As the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1-3, through three, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, And lose heart. We can endure even with joy because Jesus did. Jesus did more than just set an example for us. He paved the way. He made it possible. He set the pace. And He presently empowers us as we run with endurance. And He will be at the finish line to welcome us across saying, Welcome home. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You finished the race and you fought the good fight. Welcome home. And while the lost world may scorn us and label us, while they may threaten us or even kill us, we will never face their terrible fate. As Jesus said, we will not be hurt at all by the second death. That eternal judgment that awaits everybody who doesn't repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. This world is not all there is. Everything that you see, everything that you hear on the news, everything that the world obsesses over and, and, and spins itself on and chases after it, all of that stuff is passing away. We need to have the same attitude that the Smyrna Christians had. They took to heart what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3. And we need to have that same perspective on this lost and dying world. We need to remember that we belong to the Creator, Savior, and Sustainer of the world. Why would we fear what any man or woman might think of us? if we're being faithful to our Lord and Savior who died and took our shame upon Himself and who rose again victorious so that we can live with Him forever. And so I close with these words from the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. You have been raised with Christ, he says. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Is Christ your life? Have you been raised with Him? The only way to experience His gift of grace, the only way to have abundant life now and for eternity, is to die to your sins. To be buried, to be hidden with Christ in God. To let Him transform you into a new creation. Have you ever experienced that? If not, here in just a moment, you can come this morning and receive that crown of life. You don't have to suffer the second death. You can have life full and abundant right now and for all of eternity. Maybe this morning you need to come and experience that. Give your life to Jesus Christ. But if you're already a Christian, I want to ask you to consider this. Are you ready to endure persecution for the cause of Christ? Are you fearful or are you being faithful? What is it that you find yourself clinging to for security and comfort and success? What could Satan use to convince you to compromise your convictions? Maybe your job, your popularity, your social media reputation. Whatever it is, I'm about you to come to the altar this morning and lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Become poor in the things of this world so that you can be rich in Christ. Whatever God is laying on your heart this morning, I pray you'd come. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, thank You for Your love for us that passes all understanding. You're never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. And Father, I pray this morning if anybody doesn't know that love, they would come and experience Your grace to receive that crown of life to know the the, the peace and the joy that is ours in Jesus Christ. Maybe there's people here today, Lord, You're leading tonight with this church family to help us to be on mission for You, carrying that good news to a lost and dying world, standing firm together against the cultural pressures. Father, whatever is going on in people's lives today, and I know there are people in this room that are facing other struggles, illness, struggles at home with their children or their spouse, financial difficulties. Father, help them to put their faith and trust in the One who became poor that they might become rich, who was wounded and broken that they might know Your healing and wholeness. I pray Your peace for each of them today as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.